Good morning, Middle. How you doing? Yes, it's bright, it's sunny, it's amazing. Um, as we hear the intro, I'm going to give you a little part in the song so you can be with us. Um, like a whisper. Like a whisper. Can you make it a little, a little louder whisper? Watch Childlike sparkle. Like a whisper. Can you try one more time? Look at someone though. Look at someone. Like a whisper. Oh, I love it. Oh my god. One more time. Like a whisper. I need more child. One more time. And like a whisper. Oh, I and I saw some hands. Hands are good. Don't be afraid. Don't be as scared. Alright? The children are gonna lead us. You'll know what happens. Here we go, my friend. Don't you know they're talking about a revolution and it sounds Yes Don't you know they're talking about a revolution and it sounds One more time Don't you know they're talking about a revolution and it sounds One more time Don't you My friend, while they're standing in the welfare lines, crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation, wasting time in the unemployment line, sitting around. Don't you know they're talking about a revolution? 
whisper, just the drums, here we go, and don't you know, they're talking about a revolution, and it sounds Yes, middle. Thank you. Thank you, Village Chorus. Yeah.
This is the ah, good morning, middle. <laughs> this is the invitation to worship. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I When evil doers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. change later like we said so I am really excited to talk about that youth climate strike with all these cool friends up on the stage maybe you were one of the people who walks out of your school maybe you were at a protest or saw other kids doing it one really cool activist organizer is a kid her name She's right here. You knew exactly who I was talking about, huh? Her name is Isra Hirsi, and she is the daughter of Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, and she is 16 years old, and she was one of the main organizers of the youth climate strike. So my young friends here, yeah, you can clap for her. My young friends here see her with her family, her younger brother and sister that might be your own age. Maybe you can picture yourself as a climate activist or organizer. This picture is her on Friday in front of our Capitol building. She is protesting, and the sign in front of her says, policy change, not climate change, okay? So we got some activists and organizers and leaders up on our stage too. I wanna know, what are the messages you heard at the climate protest. Yes. Um, I heard that, like, we only have one planet. You can't have a backup. Whoa, that's true. A new one. New one. Do you have a new one for us? I have one. Okay. Love is love is love. We love that one. I saw a hand over here. I saw a hand. No? Did I see another hand? Okay, my next question. What, besides protesting, in addition to protesting, what actions are kids taking now to take care of the environment and the earth? Convincing their parents to compost. That's a good one. Thank you, Sarantha. What other actions are kids taking now? Yeah, you have one, Genevieve? Well, maybe trying to, like, prove kids are more than just adorable monsters who d <laughs> and they know stuff and they're not ju just adorable monsters who will do anything for candy. Okay. 
You heard it. There are more than that. So if that's the message you have, grown-ups, reframe your thinking. Um, <laughs> uh, just to start recycling more and stop throwing your recycling in the trash. Our young people have so many ideas about taking care of the environment. They are leaders like our friend here. We are going to say a quick prayer together. And actually, in the first worship, Genevieve had us kind of do a chant. And our chant can be like our prayer. So stand up with me. Put your hands in the center if you are with me as a leader from your generation to change this planet situation. All right. We're going to say, as Genevieve made this prayer chant for us, kids need justice. Okay? One, two, three. One, two, three. Kids need justice! That is our prayer, and on that note, let's sing Sia Humba. Well, hello. Hello, everybody. I'm Jackie Lewis, and if you're here for the very first time, a very, very, very special welcome to you from me and Middle Church and all of our family. Who's here for the first time today? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Yay! We want to greet you. Can you keep your hands up? Because I have personal questions to ask you. Where, where, where? Silly girls. Where are you from? Where are you from? France, bienvenue, bienvenue, we're glad you're here. Where are you from? Who had their hand? Where are you from? Where are you from? From where? From Estonia. Well, all right then. Amen. Estonia, good to see you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Where are you from? Okay, welcome back. We're so glad to have you. Where are you from? New York, yes, New York. Did I miss anybody? Okay, we are so glad that you're here um, and we would really like to stay in touch with you and connect you into our community and be connected with your prayers and hopes and dreams. So there's a green card on the pew in front of you, easy breezy peasy. Just give us your name and your email, not your social security number, just your name and your email. And when the offering bag comes by, if you'll drop it in, we can add you to our mailing list and help you think of ways to connect into the congregation. I am uh, wanting to let you know about a few things that are happening. Um, one is that we are in Bible study time. So Bible in the middle, if you come early, you get to talk about women's, womanist, feminist theology in the middle. On Tuesday nights, we're doing a Lenten connection, a beautiful time of riding our way toward love. So bring something to munch for yourself. Bring a journal. We have journals, but and we're taking turns leading that. And this week, it'll be Bertram leading. Um, so just kind of riding our spiritual journey, if you will, as we journey toward love in this Lenten season. Our conference is coming up so fast, April 5 to 7. 
Um, we are still registering folks. Tickets are going fast, middle family and collegiate friends. So please register now so that you can uh, guarantee yourself a spot. And um, there are many more things to say, but uh, they're on the screen. And I hope that you'll please come and do the things with us, play with us. So it's heart sickening to think about folks being in their mosque and being shot to death. It just is heart sickening. This week I was in um, Florida with the Auburn Senior Fellows and we are Buddhist and Sikh, Muslim, Jewish, atheist, I think a couple of us, Christians, Catholics, um, having really hard conversations about what it means to be a multi-faith movement for justice. And, and there are tensions all around the globe, um, Jewish tensions and Muslim tensions around Israel and Palestine and um, how do we respond to that? Um, the ongoing threat to Muslims around the globe because of immigration patterns and rising anti-Semitism everywhere. My Jewish friends tell me from the left and the right, they feel assaulted. So keeping in mind um, that I think the, the common enemy, the, the threat to us is this kind of white supremacist ideology that happens in our nation and inspires junk around the globe. That's my prayer today is that we can all focus on how that is not the world we want for our children, that in fact we want a love revolution. Amen? A love revolution. So just let's take some time to be silent together. And then after a few moments, I know Dion's gonna give us some tinkles on the piano and we'll pray together. Holy friend, the words escape us to describe um, the grief we feel for our Muslim family as we absorb the news of yet another massacre in a house of worship. We ache for all of our Muslim siblings in Christ Church, those whose lives were cut short whose sense of safety is shattered, whose mosques are desecrated. We know thoughts and prayers are not enough, God, but we do pray for all that mourn. And we pray because we know that all over the globe, wives will now ask their husbands to stay home from prayer. Young women will question wearing their hijabs. And Sikhs will be mistaken for Muslims because of their turbans. That these acts of terror do terrorize us is also a cause for mourning. Echoes of Oak Creek, Charlottesville, and Pittsburgh float on the horse sinister and persistent voice of a white supremacist ideology 
God that has masqueraded as religion through the ages. It's as though some powerful tribe has created a, a white male God who blesses those in power and curses those on the margins. We know that this is a collection of projections, this punitive, angry, judgmental, selfish, and harsh little God, this anti-Semitic God that's against Muslims and blacks and Latinx folks, this sexist, classist, homophobic, puny God with low self-esteem, but with power enough to cause the Crusades and the doctrine of discovery the genocide of Jews and indigenous people around the globe. This little mean, pocket-sized God that inspires a theology of apartheid, that enslaved Africans and is destroying our mama earth in the name of greed. This little nasty God that values the right to carry guns more than the right to live, work, play, and pray without fear of gun violence. God, help us on a day like today to be super clear in this community and wherever our prayers are heard that hyper-masculinity, racism, and the policies of nations like ours lead only to the destruction of lives, hate speech and Muslim bans, anti-immigrant sentiment, the dismantling of civil rights, the banning of trans folks from the military, anti-black racism in law enforcement and rising xenophobia, and anti-Semitism testify to what happens when racist fascism rises to power. God, when hate rises to power. We need your mercy here and now. God, we need your mercy. Your womb-like, steadfast mama love to nurture us out of the sadness and sorrow that grip us and make us feel powerless. Remind us, God, that love is stronger than hate every day and at least two times on Sunday. God, remind us that we are linked to a family of revolutionary lovers who know how to pray for one another, who know how to donate to one another's broken spaces, who know how to show up and stand up in solidarity no matter our particular faith. In fact, our brothers and sisters of other faiths make our faith uh, more, more vibrant, more vital. So think that you made us each in your image. Thank you that you've made us diverse and fabulously different. Thank you for all of our sexualities and genders and the ways we name you. And God, let us make child of God our Huber identity. Make love warrior our Huber identity. Make standing up for our brothers and sisters' rights to have their own faith, our cause. And bless those that mourn, that they might be comforted. In your many and powerful names, and in the name of the one who told us how to love. Fiercely. Amen. So friends, I want to invite you to continue to pray with me the, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. You pray it the way you know it, the way you memorized it, in the language that you know it. 
but also you can pray the inclusive version that's in the bulletin. If you'll stand as you're able. Both hands as you can. And let us pray. Ever-loving and holy God, the globe, people will stand in congregations and say, peace be with you, God's peace be with you. Never before has that been a more important prayer, invocation. God's peace be with us. God's peace be with us in the sorrow, in the tragedies. God's peace be with us. Peace that surpasses understanding. Peace that we make together. God weeps when we weep, but we're the ones who have to heal the world together. So peace be with you, middle family.
reading from Genesis 14, 1 through 12, as well as 17 through 18. The Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue... For... What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. You have given me no offspring. And so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. The Lord brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars if you can count them. So shall be your descendants. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then she said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? She said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought the Lord all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Good afternoon, Middle Church. Afternoon. I'm so grateful to be here with all of you this afternoon. My name is Jen Hagenorn, and I'm one of the two um, lucky folks who have been interns with Middle since our school year began in September. Will you all please pray with me? God, thank you for loving us into this moment of worship and celebration this morning. Thank you for reminding us that through you, anything is possible. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. When I was growing up, if I really, really wanted to make sure someone would uphold their end of an agreement, I would demand we make a pinky promise. Did anyone else do this? 
Yes, if I wanted to make sure that they would uphold their end of a lunchtime food swap situation or follow through on an agreement to share a tetherball court, a pinky promise was the way to go. Apparently, this was not a practice unique to my Pacific Northwest playground. As I was preparing for this sermon, I found a definition of a pinky promise in an 1877 glossary. Wow. The entry reads, a very common term in New York, especially among small children who, when making a bargain with each other, are accustomed to confirm it by interlocking the little finger of each other's right hands and repeating the following. Pinky, pinky, bow, bell, whoever tells a lie will sink down to the bad place and never rise again. <laughs> what? will sink down to the bad place and never rise again? Whoa, get out, yes. Now, I was horrified like you all were when I first read this, but then I realized I did commonly use another phrase interchangeably with a pinky promise, and maybe you know this one too. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye, whoa. From an early age, we are taught to put more faith in a promise that comes with the threat of punishment. We stick out our pinkies and tell ourselves that this will make our friend stick to the agreement. This desire for false security stays with us as we grow up and even carries over into our relationships with God or at least it did for Abram in our scripture reading this morning. In our reading from Genesis, we hear God promising Abram, you don't have to be afraid, I've got you. I'll protect you, I'll reward you, and not only you, but your descendants. Abram isn't so sure. He asks God to be more clear. He questions God on the promises God has made before. God patiently clarifies, taking Abram by the hand, leading him outside. I picture God wrapping an arm around Abram to warm him against the chilly night. No, Abram, I've got you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Now, God has made this promise before, saying Abram's descendants would be as numerous as dust in the desert. And while stars and dust are made of the same stuff, stars must have been a little more reassuring because Abram believes for a moment before he asks again. But God, how can I know you will fulfill your promises? And this is when God makes the ancient equivalent of a pinky promise. The ritual God and Abram take part in may sound oddly specific to us today, but it would have been far more familiar to its ancient audience. While we often think of covenant as being a softer word for contract or some kind of agreement between two parties, covenant of Abram's time would have had a much more specific meaning. A covenant was a contract between two political parties that was sealed by oaths and curses. When someone entered into a covenant with another, they would pronounce curses on themselves if they broke the agreement. In fact, the word for make 
a covenant in Hebrew is cut or karat. This is because the two parties would cut apart a living animal and walk between the bleeding pieces, proclaiming something like, so may this happen to me and more if I break the words of this covenant. Modern translation, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. As we hear this story, perhaps the most disturbing part is not even what we hear or imagine in the narrative itself, but what is silent and silenced. The women who are expected to birth and raise these generations, silenced. The people whose land is being promised, silenced. The people who are not included in this promise of protection, Silenced. Silenced in the name of covenant and promise. Why would God enter into a covenant like this with Abram? It drips of the blood of empire. It reeks of centuries of violent suppression. But what if this points us more towards the humanity of Abram than the nature of God? Abram and his people had suffered under oppressive rule of empire after empire. They had been forced to assimilate these practices of covenant into their ways of being and their ways of life. Musa Dubé is a post-colonial theorist, feminist theologian, and scholar at the University of Botswana, and she looks at the relationship between patriarchy and imperialism. She writes, Often the colonized are forced to collaborate with the colonizing powers at various stages of their suppression. They begin to advance the agendas of the oppressor and proclaim their superiority by choice or by the mere fact of living under the ruling institutions of the colonized. Just as we are socialized as children into making pinky promises, Abram and the people who carried his stories had no reason to expect anything different from a covenant with God. The relationship Abram thought was possible with God was shaped by his relationship with empire. And our relationships with God are shaped by our allegiances to empire as well. It isn't only Abram who lives in a time when men make agreements about women's bodies and reproductive rights. It isn't only Abram who lives in a time when people of power and privilege make agreements about the lands that have been inhabited by other peoples for centuries. It isn't only Abram who lives in a time when some people claim special relationship with God and weaponize it against other children of God. We have to be clear, this covenant is used to justify the coming genocide of the Canaanites, a story that lives on in our genocide of indigenous peoples. This story, this covenant, is what pits Sarah and against Hagar, a story that womanists like Dolores Williams have used as an ancient example, the relationship between black women and white women in the U.S. context. This covenant is used as the foundation for white supremacist terrorism births in the United States and exported around the globe. We may have 
the sensibilities to cringe and critique a covenant made between a powerful ancient patriarch and his God. We may feel and we should feel some pride in ensuring the God of our scripture reading is a woman's voice. But what is harder to admit is that much of what we name as violent and oppressive in the scripture passage is still alive and well today. What happens when a feminine divine voice only obscures the patriarchy and imperialism built into our image of God? Our hearts are breaking and our world is hurting because of the ways we continue to make these same covenants of empire again and again. Our work must go deeper. In the wake of Black History Month and, and in the midst of Women's History Month, we must remember covenants based on fear or scarcity will result in violence and oppression. So maybe the question isn't just why would God enter into that kind of covenant with Abram? This question requires us to ask how much of that bloody covenant is God and how much of it is Abram's theological interpretation? Here at Middle, we can say what needs to be said about this scripture passage. Anything that promotes the violence and oppression of God's beloved creation is not of God. And yet, our work must go deeper. For this story holds more for us than just empire. God's longing to be in relationship with us is not a symbol of our perfection. God's faithfulness to us is not a symbol of our superiority. God desires to be in and with all of creation, and that includes us, as well as those we may silence. The covenant is not the end, but a beginning. God comes to us in the ways we can see, making the covenants we can understand today in the hopes of calling us into a new way of being tomorrow. God is asking to be with us in relationship right in this moment, right in this place, so we may grow ever closer to God's divine vision for our lives. God is calling us into covenants of transformation. These covenants of transformation between God and people, and they are also between, they are the blueprint for the relationships we are called to create amongst ourselves. I grew up in a small United Church of Christ church just outside of Seattle, Washington, and most weeks my pastor's welcome to the congregation would include this assurance. God loves us exactly the way we are, and God loves us so much, she's not going to let us stay that way. I'll say it again, God loves us so much that she's not going to let us stay the way we are. This holy contradiction, this sacred promise is alive in the promise God made to Abram and throughout the covenants of the scriptures. To be loved and to be changed by that love is the work of the church. To be loved and to be stretched by that love is the work of our community. To be loved and to be transformed by that love is the work we are doing here at Middle. Many of us are trying on new covenants during Lent. 
Whether we give up something like sweets or social media, or add something like a gratitude or devotional practice, we are trying on a new way of being in closer relationship with God. We are preparing to be the Easter people and knowing that we will never fully arrive. God loves us exactly as we are. And she loves us so much that she is inviting us into new, deeper relationship. Our welcome song here at Middle, the song that we sing to new members, tells a story of unconditional welcome. We welcome you just as you are, as you come through that door, we welcome you. So many of the people I've had the blessing to get to know during my time here at Middle are here because they, we, have been welcomed. When other churches would say that my call is not relevant, my work not ordainable because of who I love, Middle says I am welcomed. Mm -hmm. When other churches would create limits and stipulations on who this abundance is for, Middle says come one and all. When other churches might try and clean up, leave out, skim over the tough, messy parts of movement building, Middle says, bring it on. God loves us exactly as we are, and she loves us so much. She knows we can build a world much more loving and just than the one we have right now. We live in a world stacked with empire on empire on empire, and we know that doesn't keep God from breaking in and loving us anyways. God desperately wants to build covenants of transformation with us, through us. Are we ready? Jackie often says that we need to grow up our faith. And our passage today invites us to continue growing up our covenants as well. The childhood contracts of pinky promises just don't leave room for the abundance of imagination, liberation, and new life that God has in store for us all. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Middle. <laughs> so, I'm Erica Hunt. Uh, good to meet you. Good to see friends, new faces. I'm a member at Middle, as you might guess. And I, I think I've been a member for about 25 years. <laughs> I say that, I'm astounded. That time went fast. Today, I want to use my time speaking on a Sunday, Women's History Month, about the ways that the Middle Church community has been a home for me, a space 
for justice-seeking and for the sacred. It sustains me, this home. As a black woman trying to live ethically, alive, as a long-distance runner for social justice, as a writer, an artist, a teacher, and how do I challenge myself to live bravely and compassionately in a world that's broken? So this week, like everyone else, we were, I was appalled and kind of flattened by yet another massacre of innocence. And uh, it plunged me into a new level of sorrow and anger and feeling like, well, I mean, how can we change this? How much ever changes and what can you do against evil? For me, I think about the suffering caused by this addiction to white supremacy. <laughs> and I think of the grief and fear experienced by many who feel targeted by this murderous delusion, and how, how do we stop the fever dream, <laughs> right? That seems to infect so many people. How do you stop that? And uh, so it's tempting in the face of such evil to feel helpless and to shut down, and in doing so, cut oneself off from life and from activity feeling like you can act towards this big thing, all right? So um, I come to middle to find words, to find songs. No, nothing's impossible, right? The choir said, nothing's impossible. And you know, it, I begin, it begins to come into me. Nothing's impossible. There are no uncertainties. Um, I begin, I come to middle to find words, songs, and people, community, to restore me. For instance, today's reading was, look up and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And that echoes beautifully with the verse that's written at the ceiling, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every burden and run with patience the race that is set before us. <laughs> run with patience the race that is set before us. Who, are, who do we call kin? Who do we call family? Who do we call our lineage? And I look around this church, and you are family, kin, teacher, students, witnesses, people who stand for justice and stand together for justice and kindness in a world that doesn't really quite encourage it enough. We don't see it enough in which it is scarce. So. At middle, I too am a parent and a teacher and a midwife and a student. And I am given new ways to be compassionate in the world without feeling depleted by the scorch of the world as it is. 
I am taught in any number of ways about the miracle of resurrection, that new life can be found in many ways, the promise that if we could keep looking and keep walking and keep working, God is with us and we will see life renewed and we will see, as the young people told us today, revolution. Even if it's a whisper, we will see revolution. So at Middle, we work to build a community propelled by radical love, justice, and a belief in human dignity that bridges race, sexuality, gender, ethnicity, and class. Few places offer this kind of gathering space for conversation, support, and commitment. And so I'm so grateful for Middle. I'm grateful to Reverend Jackie, wherever she is. <laughs> oh, oh, there you are. <laughs> for leading us with spiritual fire and proclaiming a transformative love to the world. I'm grateful to Bertram for facilitating conversations on race, racism and justice. I'm grateful to Amanda for marshalling us to vigils so that we may stand by our brothers and sisters in other faiths. I'm grateful to Marta for ministering to our children. So I, I'm grateful to my, com I'm gonna just take a little space here. I'm grateful also to my comrades on the Middle Project Board, um, Susan Davis and Yusuf and Carlos and Catherine and Michael. And we, we try to provide some guidance and help and support to the church and to the Revolutionary Love Conference coming up April 5th through 7th. And I support this church. I want you to support it too. This is a church that has a divine and special mission in the world, which is to articulate a progressive and inclusive and loving version of what it is to walk with God. So please support it. I support it on an automatic deduction, donation. It's very easy. Go to middlechurch.org, find that donate button. And I invite you, if you haven't already, join this movement. After the service, there's someone who will be here to help you, talk to you about this church, how you can become involved, how you can come in from out there to in here so that you're stronger when you go back out. Amen.
us in our closing hymn. Glory, glory. prophetic words for us here today. <coughs> I want to remind you, if you've been moved by what you've heard today, that Bertram will be at the front to receive you to join this movement. I think my microphone is off. Is that what I'm hearing? Okay, now it's on. Uh, thanking Jen for who she is and who she has called us to be this morning. And now, as you go from this place, let's remember those words from Jen's pastor, that God loves you so, so much that God's not going to let you stay the way you are. Go in peace. Go in love. Amen. Amen. Amen.